morning and welcome to PepsiCo's 2021 first quarter earnings question and answer session. Your lines have been placed on listen only until it is your turn to ask a question. In order to ask a question or make a comment, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone at any time. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Today's call is being recorded and will be archived at www.pepsico.com. It is now my pleasure to introduce Mr. Ravi Pamnani, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Mr. Pamnani, you may begin. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone has had the chance this morning to review our press release and prepared remarks, both of which are available on our website. Before we begin, please take note of our cautionary statement. We may make forward-looking statements on today's call, including about our business plans, 2021 outlook, and the potential impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business. Forward-looking statements inherently involve risks and uncertainties and only reflect our view as of today, and we are under no obligation to update. When discussing our results, we may refer to non-GAAP measures, which exclude certain items from reported results. Please refer to today's earnings release in 10Q, available on PepsiCo.com, for definitions and reconciliations of non-GAAP measures and additional information regarding our results, including a discussion of factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from forward-looking statements. Joining me today are PepsiCo's Chairman and CEO, Ramon LaGuarta, and PepsiCo's Vice Chairman and CFO, Hugh Johnson. We ask that you please limit yourself to one question. And with that, I will turn it over to the operator for the first question. Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Our first question comes from the line of Dara Mosinian of Morgan Stanley. Hey guys, good morning. So um, I just wanted to spend some time on gross margins. Um, a, first, just can you give us some sense of what adjusted gross margins would have been in the quarter X, the acquisitions and the supply chain challenges you mentioned in Texas at quarter end that, that you mentioned the prepared remarks? And then um, B, you know, looking out more longer term, we, we've obviously, we're, we're seeing a really pronounced rise in the commodity spectrum across the board in CPG lately. Um, corn certainly one of those that's up substantially year over year. So can you talk about how much you're covered for 2021 on commodities? But, you know, what I'm really more interested in strategically is in the event that these higher commodities do fully flow through to your P&L as we look later in the year, even into 2022, you know, because it does feel like we're certainly in a normal commodity environment. Um, you know, how do you approach that from an organizational standpoint? Can we expect more aggressive pricing? Um, and how do you sort of approach that higher commodity spectrum theoretically as an organization, um, given it does seem like an out, outsized increase? Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in on that one, Dara. Thanks. Thanks for the question, and good morning. Yeah, if you look at a, really over the last three quarters, the, the gross margin decline we've had is is really primarily been driven by the mixed impacts of of our recent international M&A, primarily the the Pioneer acquisitions. Uh, and we expect that to continue in, into Q2. That's, that's the last quarter uh, before we finally lap out of that. Uh, in terms of, of 21, uh, there is certainly higher input inflation, but it's been factored in, into the 21 guidance. 
notably in, in terms of agricultural and, and packaging. Uh, in addition to that, we have also factored in the, uh, the higher freight and transportation costs that, that we're experiencing out there right now. Uh, and again, just to remind you all, uh, no single commodity accounts for more than, than 10% of our baskets. So we, we do have a fairly broad exposure to, to commodities. Uh, in terms of managing it, uh, we'll, we'll take a balanced approach on this, as we always have, between driving productivity and then being very surgical with uh, the net revenue management uh, opportunities that we have in the marketplace to, to mitigate pressures. Uh, and obviously, our eye is always towards making sure that our, our brand proposition uh, holds up well with consumers. Uh, if I put it all together for, for 2021, uh, Q1 uh, of the 140 basis point decline, uh, about 100 basis points of that came out of the international M&A, uh, and about 30 basis points came out of uh, the, the pressures that we experienced uh, as a result of the winter storm in the middle of the country. Uh, going forward into the back half of the year, we do expect that to moderate uh, considerably. Uh, and, I, and I'd probably put our back half uh, gross margin in, in the flattish range. As for 22, uh, I, it's premature really to talk about that. I mean, we're, we're so early in the commodity cycle, particularly on ag products, that I, I think that's something that we probably ought to, ought to wait some months before we, we start speculating on. Our next question comes from the line of Bonnie Herzog of Goldman Sachs. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I, um, I had a question on Frito-Lay, certainly a strong quarter, despite, you know, really it being the, the top, toughest comp of the year. So maybe you could drill down further on some of the momentum you're seeing in this business and, you know, give us a sense of how strong results could have been without the winter storms. And then separately, could you help us understand consumer consumption patterns around pack sizes? You know, are your pa large pack sizes still driving the majority of the growth at Frito-Lay? And, you know, maybe how you expect that to trend? And finally, just curious to hear if you've seen any recovery in the impulse portion of that business yet. And then if not, why? Thank you. Hi, good morning, Bonnie. Uh, I'll take this one. Um, yeah, Frito, uh, a couple of highlights on their performance. Um, th their, the share performance of Frito has accelerated uh, in the last um, six months, most notably in the last uh, three months. So we feel good about um, that part, and we've been investing in our brands, not only the big brands, but the smaller brands, and, and our execution capabilities, our supply chain, to make sure that we started to gain share. So that that's... You know, that's very positive. Obviously, uh, as you look at the Q1 numbers, Frito was particularly impacted by the, um, by the winter storm because we have a lot of infrastructure in the south, uh, a lot of our manufacturing and, uh, and depots uh, are there in the south. So it was particularly impacted. So um, we're, we're slowly recovering from that situation, both, uh, you know, raw materials and and actual manufacturing, and, and you know we're, we're we're very close to having a a normal supply chain now. Um, your question on on consumer trends, um, I think there is a structural um, trend that we have discussed in the past, and is the fact that we're seeing more and more 
small portion consumption in, in, in the snacks business and, and to, to a certain extent also in the beverage business. So smaller um, units, um, especially now in the form of multi-packs, given there is an increase in home consumption, that's the, um, the consumer packages that is, that is uh, growing the fastest. And I think that the team has been very good at um, providing more uh, personalization around that, creating more combination of multi-packs, which you know drives uh, eventually. Given that consumers like variety, it drives it drives performance, and we're seeing a lot of growth there. I think that's going to be a structural um, trend in that business. Um, now, to your question on mobility, yes, we're seeing. Um, you know, consumers in the U.S. Uh, obviously moving around much more, which has a positive impact uh, by definition in, the, um, in consumption trends in the both large format and small format. So we're seeing much more uh, single-serve growth in, in both channels, large format and, and, and uh, small format. So, so those are all, um, you know, some trends that we're, we're seeing. Uh, there's still uncertainty around uh, in-home consumption, I think, uh, and we're going to have more information about uh, consumer behavior in the next few months as consumers decide, you know, um, how much they go back to work in offices, how much they venture out for, um, for some of their meals during the day. So we, we have obviously a lot of insights and, we're, and, you know, all our future projections are based on those insights. Yeah, I think the consumer will show us more as we go along in the next, I would say, six to nine months, yeah. Your next question comes from the line of Andrea Teixeira of J.P. Morgan. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Um, so I wanted to go back to the, um, the top line and the cadence of the quarter. As you obviously left the initial pantry load, but also, as you mentioned before, the disruptions of the winter storms uh, are be likely behind you. So, so two-part question. Number one, um, are you seeing food service uh, less negative as you exited the quarter worldwide? And then second, your price mix was, was pretty strong. And obviously, your pack, um, part of the business, the RGM, um, is, it w has been negatively impacted by the, the, the large portions, the large size uh, packs. Are you seeing that improving? Um, and, and any opportunity to, along with that, mitigate some of the cost pressures with more pricing. Thank you. Good morning, Andrea. Um, yeah, on, on the food service trends, uh, yes, we're, we're seeing, obviously, uh, as we're lapping the lockdowns of last year, and um, we're, we're seeing, obviously, much um, better traffic in that channel, and, um, you know, uh, we're going to see better consumption, especially as we go forward, uh, different different levels of recovery across different channels, in in within food service, but in general we see positive trends, and, and that should that should be very good for both our uh, beverages and snack business. Obviously, that will have implications in in-home as well. Now, so I think we'll uh, we'll see a new equilibrium of of consumption going forward. Um, um, you know, the, the rest. Uh, sorry, what was the second one? I forgot, Andrea. line has been closed, sir. Okay. Well, listen, um, um, uh, you know, in, in terms of um, future consumption um, trends, I, I think what I said to 
Bonnie earlier, and um, you know what we're seeing in food service that will determine the future growth of of our of our portfolio. Yeah. Yeah, Ramon. Just to add to that, I think she was also asking about uh, large large package versus small package, and obviously as mobility increases, small package will will tend to take on a more prominent role, which which obviously has positive uh, positive margin implications for us. Yeah, which is along the lines of what I was telling Bonnie about. I think there, there's some structural trends on small format um, that will continue um, in our two categories uh, going forward. Yeah. Our next question comes from the line of Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Hi, thanks. Good morning. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit maybe about um, PBNA margins. I know you've talked about um, objectives to, to get those margins up significantly through portfolio mix, channel mix, cost savings. Um, they were up 100 basis points in this quarter. I'm guessing the lower promotion helps a bit. But if you could just talk a little bit about some of the key inputs to drive you know, that, that margin improvement and how we should think about cadence. You know, is this quarter the start of it or is this more of a, a one-off in that trajectory? Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, I think we've been improving margins at, at PBNA now for a few quarters. Um, what we see in Q1 is a, um, you know, is a realization of the efforts the team are doing in the multiple vectors that we referred to earlier. So there's better portfolio mix. Um, there is, as you say, a better revenue management across the different channels. But there is also an important uh, productivity journey that the team started. So our cost per unit across many, many levers of the P&L are also improving. So we're seeing both a better mix management, better price realization, and a better cost um, uh, management through the, um, through, through the P&L. We're also seeing a better returns on our A&M. We're seeing, um, you know, ROI on our A&M getting better, which will give us probably an opportunity also to optimize our A&M as we go forward in the year. So uh, multiple vectors and, um, you know, good, 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 um, good output from a lot of these different uh, elements that will drive the overall profit improvement of uh, PB&A. Our next question comes from the line of Brian Spillane of Bank of America. Hey, uh, good morning. Um, maybe just wanted to, to follow up uh, on Ramon the comments you just made on A and M efficiencies. Was uh, looking in the in the in the 10Q, it seems like um, advertising or marketing was down in a lot of segments. I'm not sure if it was up or down at all for the for the toll company. Uh, but I guess was, was wondering, given where we sit today in terms of the, the stage of reopening, are you still are you spending like at marketing at normal levels uh, currently, or, you know, will that kind of unfold as, as things reopen? So really just trying to understand whether or not marketing is up or down, but more importantly, um, are, are you able to kind of spend at, at full levels yet, or is, is the environment not really there to do that? Hi, Brian. Good morning. Yeah, listen, uh, our position on marketing has, uh, has been always – um, a, um, a positive one in terms of continue to invest in our brands uh, rationally, and we, you know, we didn't cut meaningfully our A&M last year uh, because I think that that really gives us the uh, the right to compete and and um, it, it, you know continue to develop the brand equity of our brands. Um, that having said that, we're continue to get much better at understanding and measuring 
the ROI of the different types of marketing we can do uh, for the different brands, the different channels, the different types of content, and, and we're getting better at optimizing that, that uh, what is a very sizable A&M budget across the company. So uh, clearly we are, uh, our strategic position is continue to invest in A&M in um, as a big driver of long-term growth and brand development. Um, you know, obviously we're trying to, as, as we do with, with every investment that we make across the company, we're trying to uh, have the highest return on that, on that A&M both in terms of geographies, channels, brands, uh, and different opportunities. So that that you know the end number in the PNL is a combination of those two uh, those two inputs. Hey, hey Ramon, if I can just add to, Brian, to your answer as well. Uh, in, in particular, Brian, on on North America beverages, we we've talked about in the past that uh, there may be an opportunity. Uh, to spend at a lower level while, while maintaining competitiveness. And uh, to the degree that opportunity presents itself, we certainly expect to take advantage of it. Your next question comes from the line of Laurent Grandet of Guggenheim. Yes, good morning, everyone. Uh, hey, uh, like, I'd like to focus a bit on the energy category. I mean, I'd like to understand the retail reception to your new energy offensive in the U.S., specifically in the the revamp of Rockstar, the launch of Mountain Dew Rise, and the situation with Bang, which seems to be getting uh, more smoothly, if we can say so. Um, so, and, and that is important to understand because the, the segment is, is becoming even more dynamic than before with many more players, Monster having some of its own uh, sales force. So really like to understand uh, how the retailers are, are seeing your offensive there. Thank you. Good, Laurent, thank you. Listen, uh, it, it's, it's clearly a, a focus category for us with a lot of efforts, uh, not only in the U.S., but also internationally. Uh, so let me go, um, you know, one by one on, on the different components of it. Um, the first thing I would say, the, um, the Starbucks uh, energy segment, which is, as you know, we've been working on it for many years now, uh, continues to grow double digits. So that, that, that is very unique and quite defensible for us, our Double shot, triple shots continue to grow at a uh, double digit, and our partnership with Starbucks is at a very, very good relationship. Now, when you go into the uh, pure energy, uh, a couple of things. As you said, the bank business is stabilized and um, actually, um, you know, growing very nicely. So we're, we're feeling good about about that part. Uh, when it comes to our brands, very early but very positive. Um, reaction uh, from the consumer early trial, I would say, from the customer, very strong reaction on our Mountain Dew rice. Uh, clearly, that's a product where, you know, I think our marketing teams and our R&D teams have done a phenomenal job in, you know, in finding a, uh, a very particular insight on there is a need for a morning energy uh, drink that is unique and differentiated. I think the product delivers on that, and the early feedback we're getting from consumers and, and retailers is, is very good. The teams are, are full on in terms of distribution, and, and, and as you know, we signed with LeBron James, and, and that's going to create, a, you know, I think, very, very good awareness for the brand and, and a very good early trials. When it comes to Rockstar, also I think the teams have done a great job in, with the um, repositioning of the brand, with the uh, reformulation of the products, with the uh, international launch and relaunch here in the U.S., 
um, you know, the, the early again, it's only six weeks in the market, really, with the new um, with the new graphics and the new repositioning. We started with Super Bowl on the advertising front. Uh, early reads are you know very positive, um, you know, compared to what was a a, a, a flat to negative uh, net sales growth is now in the positive territory and quite quite high, but I would say it's too early to to call whether we're really bringing new consumers to the to the brand and, and whether those consumers stay with the brand. I think we're going to need you know a few more quarters to really understand what's happening at the consumer level. But from from the selling and from the customer reaction, very positive across the four the four vectors, and and it, it makes us feel. Um, you know, confident that we have we have a good foundation from which to build upon um, with with future innovation and future uh, brand events. So, uh, good, good starting point, Lauren. Your next question comes from the line of Vivian Azer of Cowan. Hi, good morning. Um, I was hoping to discuss your uh, beverage innovation strategy, please. As we noticed that last week in Germany, you launched uh, Rockstar Plus Hemp. So as it relates to that product, can you discuss your broader plans for that offering uh, beyond Germany? And then related to that, can you also please discuss your appetite to introduce hemp or even a CBD beverage offering in the U.S., please? Thank you. Yeah, hi, uh, Vivian. Listen, uh, yeah, we're, we're testing innovation across the world, um, you know, dif different, different uh, consumer spaces. And we'll see, depending on on the performance of of the product, then we'll we decide to lift and shift. Uh, I would say the uh, the test in Germany is very particular for that country. Uh, there is a the sizable segment of uh, um, hemp drinks um, in in Germany. We'll, we'll read that. Um, I, I wouldn't take any broader conclusions, um, you know, for the for the broader company. Our focus now is on the the pure energy category. We have identified the. Uh, the morning occasion is, a, is a, you know, an open opportunity that is not well covered by existing propositions. And I think we have also the, uh, the coffee part. We have some other priorities in our, in our portfolio where we would like the team to focus. And, and uh, we'll, we'll test and learn from some of the other opportunities that we have um, globally. Our next question comes from the line of Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Oh, thank you. I'm glad I, I'm glad I got in again. Um, I was hoping to talk a little bit about China um, because my sense is that with China being about two-thirds of Asia, if I'm right at this point, um, the growth there has to have been very, very strong. And the comparisons in terms of COVID with only two months wouldn't have been that severe, just I guess the Chinese New Year portion. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about China, um, you know, if there's anything you're doing differently there, share progression. Um, yeah, I'd be curious to an update on China. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, China is a, is a bit of a, um, you know, a very special case, now given that how um, you know, COVID is clearly a different cycle than in, in, in other countries around the world. We're seeing... Um, obviously, there, there's a little bit of noise on our Q1 numbers because of the different um, timing of Chinese New Year. So, um, you know, clearly there was a very good performance in China this year. Part of that is, is the fact that we capture more Chinese New Year this year versus last year. But having said that, the trends in China are very positive in terms of consumer mobility and consumer spending. Uh, we're obviously benefiting from that. On top of it, um, you know, in, in, in snacks, we continue to gain share, 
um, you know, we, we're, we're building um, new manufacturing, we're building new agro programs, we're building, uh, you know, we're investing in rural areas for better distribution of our snacks business. And we're, as you know, we bought uh, Bianchiri, um, which is a, a Chinese, um, you know, Chinese company that has a, a portfolio of macro snacks, you know, which complements our strong potato chip business that we've been building for many years. So on the snack side, I would say very, um, you know, very encouraged by the uh, by the positive share, by the uh, by the mobility, by the return on the investments we've made on rural areas and and um, more capital distribution. With regards to beverages, it's been a uh, it, it is really a very positive performance for the category, and and we've been holding share, gaining a little bit of share in China, um, in, in in the categories where we perform. Um, Clearly, the uh, the away from home business in China is improving, and that is that is giving the category a, a you know, very very high growth um, um, numbers in general. So feeling good about China, and uh, feeling good about about the, um, the the balance of the year in that country. Um, the, the growth, you know, the growth expectations of of, uh, of the economy are positive, as was recently laid out by the government. And we're seeing that in in, um, in the consumption. The, obviously, China is a very dynamic market, and, and what we're seeing is massive changes in uh, in channels of consumption. So there are a lot of new channels of consumption developing, social um, social channels, and, and new uh, kind of entertainment, e-commerce type of channels that are driving uh, changes in the um, in the consumer um, and, and 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 the way companies need to adapt in their supply chain and their their marketing spend. But overall, as a country, continues to be a very important and a very large business opportunity for, for us. Your next question comes from the line of Kamal Gajrawala of Credit Suisse. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned being covered on commodities and you know the diversity of your commodity base. Can you talk a bit about labor and staffing, what you're seeing there in terms of any, uh, any price pressure, cost pressure, uh, as well as uh, what we should be expecting in terms of the of COVID costs and maybe the fading year over year of COVID costs that are in your P&L at the moment. Hi, Camille. Um, yeah, two things on on COVID. Uh, we're obviously we, we go with the um, with the largest society, you know. So it, whenever there is a, a drop in cases, our costs go down, and we've seen that in the U.S. We've seen, um, you know, a drop early in the quarter, but then we, we see more cases now. Uh, in other parts of the world, we haven't seen a reduction, really. Um, so if you think about Latin America, if you think about Europe, uh, Africa, we see, you know, actually pretty much the same number of cases that we're seeing late in, in the year. So our COVID costs will continue to be, obviously, to a, to a lower level than last year, but will continue to be a factor, and there is... There is, uh, you know, we go with how um, the government or broader society is able to to manage the um, the pandemic in the different geographies. Uh, so that that is um, that is the uh, the situation. Hugh, you want to take the uh, the other part? Yeah, in terms of labor uh, labor pressures, I, right now in the U.S., Komala, it's uh, it's actually okay. We we haven't seen a lot of uh, labor inflation, and we're we're able to to get employees reasonably well right now. So, uh, how how that's going to play going forward uh, remains to be seen as the economy picks up. But uh, at least as for right now, we're we're doing fine on that front. And then 
as as you know, and uh, as Ramon alluded to as well, la- last year we had uh, around $800 million of COVID costs. Uh, and as I've commented before, our, our exit rate on the quarter uh, was about, uh, I believe it was uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million to $30 million bucks a period. Uh, we ought to see that number uh, stay the same to sequentially decline over time, as Ramon noted, given the as as COVID cases go away, obviously our costs tend to go away as well. Our next question comes from the line of Steve Powers of Deutsche Bank. Yeah, hey, good morning, thanks. Um, maybe as a, a follow-up in part to where Dara and Bonnie started off the call, you know, in the past when we've seen in inflation in corn and other inputs that impact Frito-Lay, um, especially in North America, my perception is that PepsiCo has often ended up cost advantage for a period of time versus competition just because I think your hedging programs tend to be more structural and long dated versus peers. So I guess, guess is is that fair? And and if so, do you see that phenomenon taking shape in in the current year as well? And I I guess if if you do, do you see that more as an opportunity to to improve profitability, maybe consolidate a bit more share um, while you are advantaged or, or, or perhaps a combination, just how you're thinking about that? and if my underlying premise is, is correct in the first place. Thanks. If you want, Ramon, I'll, I'll jump in on that one. Uh, Steve, with, uh, with the, the competition that, that we have right now, obviously it's, it's a pretty diverse group. My, I, my sense is you're probably right. We're probably a little bit further out. Um, in, in the Frito-Lay business, we're, we're going to sort of run our play Uh we have our, our pricing strategies in place right now, and, and my expectation is we'll execute against those, and, and frankly, we'll see how competition responds to them. So it's a little bit hard for me to project uh, how it is they're going to operate. But I think we, we by and large, have uh, have our pricing plans in place. Again, will we'll we use some surgical net revenue management uh, techniques during the course of the, the next few uh, quarters? Yeah, we will. But by and large, I think we're – we're we're relatively locked into what we're we're looking to do for the year. Uh, I did want to clarify one thing uh, in in regards to Como's question. I mentioned twenty to thirty million dollars a period. Period's an internal term that we use, uh, so I, I should qualify that as uh, sixty to eighty million bucks uh, a quarter is probably the exit rate that we had on uh, on COVID costs, uh, and then we'll we'll see where we land uh, as the year progresses. Our next question comes from the line of Rob Ottenstein of Evercore. Great. Thank you very much. I want to just um, turn to uh, the question on um, promos in the uh, percentage of, uh, of CSDs and beverages sold on promo uh, in the U.S. And I was wondering if, you know, kind of if you do kind of help us sort of level set maybe where it was in, in 2019 where it fell down to in, in, in 2020, what it looks like for the quarter, and, and your expectations for the rest of the year. Thank you. Yeah, um, Robert, so listen, uh, we're seeing a very rational uh, environment for uh, pricing and promotions in the U.S. at this point in time. Um, in the category, I think, um, you know, the, the, the level of promotions that we're seeing in Q1 that we had in Q1 was lower than what we had in Q1 last year. Um, and, and we, you know, our expectations is that we should be seeing a, a rational uh, market for the balance of the year. 
um, at this point there are still um, shortages in, in, you know, I think in supply from many of the players in the category, um, and we're all becoming better at understanding the, um, you know, uh, improving our net revenue uh, management capabilities and understanding the return on promotions, and we're becoming more sophisticated working with our partners on getting the best return on the promotion. So I think there is a, uh, there's probably a high likelihood that the, uh, the market will remain a rationale for the next uh, for the next quarters, and that's what we are um, what we're trying to, uh, to to do ourselves, and 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 I expect the rest of the industry uh, would follow a, a similar a similar position. Our next question comes from the line of Kevin Grundy of Jefferies. Great. Thanks. Uh, morning, everyone. Thanks for taking the question. Um, Ramon, I wanted to return to North America Beverages, just sort of overall state of the union, because this, of course, was a, was a big focus for you when, when you took over as CEO. The question relates to market share progress for, for key brands, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Gatorade. Looking at the Nielsen data, performance has been a bit mixed, particularly in sports drinks, where Gatorade continues to lose quite a bit of share. So, if you could comment on your overall level of satisfaction with trends, adequacy of investment, particularly as you look to restore margins in, in, in the segment here, in, in the, not just this year, but in the coming years as well, uh, that would be helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, listen, uh, we, we feel very good about our competitiveness in, in beverages in North America. And um, as, as we laid out um, a couple of years ago, we wanted to go one brand at a time and make sure that each one of our big brands became really competitive. And we've done it very, um, I would say, very surgically and very uh, consistently. So we started with uh, Pepsi. Pepsi now is growing, um, you know, it's been growing um, for the last uh, year and a half, you know, at, at a good levels and starting to gain share in, in CSDs, outgrowing some of our competitors. We went then with uh, Gatorade, our second largest brand, and again, um, yes, uh, Gatorade is not growing share in the uh, sports drink category, but it's been one of the uh, top uh, three brands contributing to overall growth of LRB in 2020 and continues in 2021. So, I mean, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the growth of Gatorade has been very strong, not only because of uh, what, what is been an amazing platform for the brand in uh, Gatorade uh, Zero, but also by by growing the uh, the rest of the portfolio, and then third uh, Mountain Dew, which was our pending um, you know, third brand, where we, we, we it took us a little bit longer. But if you see the growth of Mountain Dew in the last two quarters, especially the last quarter, it's been it's been very high, right? And and it's not only the fact that we've added innovation, but our base Mountain Dew is growing again at a very good level. So. We see our three core brands continue to or starting to be very consistently growing at the category base or above. You know, that complemented with the fact that we always said we want to continue to be leaders in some of the sub-segments that are growing faster, right? So if you take coffee, a large segment in the beverage category in the U.S. where we're clearly uh, outgrowing everybody else, um, if you see uh, teas, we're also gaining sharing teas with our Pure Leaf and our Lipton brand. If you think about a sparkling water, bubbly has been a big success. So we continue to play on the periphery, but we, uh, we're making what I would say very good and consistent progress 
in um, in, in what are the core brands of our business and, and, and obviously very meaningful for, for the overall category. So we're very happy. Uh, we, we will continue to improve. As, as I said earlier, energy is our next um, you know, big space where we're, 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 we have multiple uh, tools that we will use very uh, incrementally to each other to drive, to drive um, you know, hopefully share gains as well in that, in what is a you know, very dynamic category, as, as Laurent mentioned earlier. So uh, we feel very good. I think the business is becoming much more competitive. The business is becoming much more agile. The business is becoming much more uh, thoughtful about uh, performing today and investing for the future. So a, a lot of positives that uh, we see in the North America beverages, um, uh, you know, uh, in the last whatever two years, and we're very hopeful that this will be a, a pretty good year for that for that business, given the trends that we see in the in the market performance and the uh, and the activities that we have planned for our brand. So we're feeling good. We're feeling very good about PBNA. Our next question comes from the line of Sean King of UBS. Hi, good morning. Um, and this may be more uh, international focus, but uh, does your outlook take into account um, any uh, negative margin mix effects of a beverage rebound versus the uh, uh, tougher comparison on the snacking side? Or am I thinking about uh, the dynamic sort of incorrectly uh, with respect to international margins uh, for snacking versus beverage? Yeah, if you'd like, Ramon, I'll jump in on that one. Uh, yeah, Sean, in, in short, yes, our, our outlook does account for, uh, for what you just described. So, um, in, in terms of margins, uh, outside the U.S., uh, the snack margins tend to be, uh, lower relative to, uh, to beverages where we're a franchise company. Obviously, franchise is, uh, is a higher margin business, uh, but where we, uh, operate a company on bottling operation, uh, a little, Overall, uh, our outlook sort of captures all of those mix impacts. I don't expect anything to be disruptive over the course of 2021. Our final question will come from the line of Chris Carey of Wells Fargo Securities. Hi, good morning. Um, just to clarify a prior answer, I mentioned that promo, you expect it to remain rational. Is, is that to imply that you think it can uh, remain structurally lower for the long term, or you expect a normalization back to pre-COVID levels? I, I didn't quite get directionally which way you were talking about. And then, you know, the question just related to pricing, it, it, it was a historically high price in PB&A, and this is a trend we've been seeing more. Can you just talk about um, how you view pricing power in that division, whether that, you know, is a, a split between certain brands or, or, or categories and just overall, um, your, your overall comfort with a price over volume uh, driven approach going forward. Thanks. Q, you want to start and then I'll, I'll compliment. Yeah, happy to, Ramon. Um, to be clear on that one, yeah, we, we do think that there is an opportunity uh, for longer term uh what you term price rationality uh, in in the North American beverage marketplace, uh, both from the standpoint of uh, competitive structure as well as uh, what we think is the right way to compete, which is primarily around uh, innovation and brand building and, and execution. Um, so we we think the environment is, is well set up for uh, for pricing to be positive going forward. 
uh, that that's not a temporary thing based on what's happening in in the environment right now. Yeah, Chris, I, I think um, you know what what Hugh said. We're, we're seeing um, everybody becoming more um, kind of capable and knowledgeable on consumer insights and applied to promotions and uh, pricing and elasticities and. So we're going to see more application of those multiple levers to um, to provide good value to the consumer, rather than just um, driving prices down, which I don't think is a uh, is a big idea for anybody in the industry. Um, and obviously, with the um, you know with the set of inflation uh, trends that we see in some of the uh, commodities and so on, there's probably going to be very little um, incentive for anybody to. Um, Break what is a very rational um, environment uh, as we see today. Um, so that, that, that's how we're thinking about it, and how you know we're talking to some of our um, some of our partners in the uh, in the retail industry. Okay, I think I think uh, that that was the last question. So thank you very much for your time this morning. Um, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, I hope you guys stay safe and, and healthy and. and and especially, thank you very much for the confidence that you've all placed in, the, in us with your investments. Thank you very much, and um, you know, uh, look forward to uh, future meetings. Thank you. Thank you. That does conclude PepsiCo's 2021 first quarter earnings question and answer session. You may now disconnect.